0: Praise God. We're going to go ahead and continue on in our series of, of who we are. This is every year we, we do uh, uh, several weeks talking about who we are as a church, the culture of who we are, uh, what we believe, what we're all about. And uh, we've been doing it for the last three weeks. And today uh, we're going to talk about how that we are people who are filled with the spirit. Um, We believe in the gifts of the Spirit here in this church. We believe that they're active, that they are still for today. And uh, uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. And there's some key points that we're going to really look at, what the Word says, what the Scripture says, um, about being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that we we, we notice is, is true when we look at the Scripture is that it's subsequent to salvation. So when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit come inside of you. Um, That is when you're born again, that's when you get saved, but subsequent to that salvation You also have the holy spirit come upon you and that is being filled with the holy spirit or being baptized It depends on who you talk to how they refer to it as but it's typically the same thing when people are talking about it Um, So today we're really going to talk about what is this baptism of the holy spirit? What does it really mean? What is what does it look like? Um, How do we know that we have been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And really, what is the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit today? And the reality is, is that when you are filled with the Spirit, then uh, you, you receive and may operate in many of the multitude of gifts of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit wills to work through you. There was a time when... It was only the person that's on stage that used to, to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit who were, who were filled with the Holy Spirit. There's actually a time in church history, if you look at that, it's, it's the person upstage that had all the fancy stuff going on. But the reality is that's not what it looks like in the Bible. The gifts of the Spirit are for everybody. They're not relegated to some figurehead, to some person standing up in the church, but the gifts of the Spirit are available and for each and every single one of you. The gifts are actually for the church not just for some church leaders. They're to give us power to be effective at ministering to the lost. They're to give us power to be effective as a church. And the Bible says that you're to desire them. And as a church, I would pray that every single one of us would be one desiring them and and be operating in them and not be afraid to do so. I think that's one of the biggest things that holds people back is they're afraid. What are people going to say? What is it gonna look like? Let's face it. Has anybody ever heard somebody speak in tongues? It's weird. That's okay. Just because something is weird doesn't mean it's not biblical. The truth is, is there's a lot of things in the Bible that are weird. How many of you guys seen somebody risen from the dead? That happened in the Bible. I think we'd all consider that weird, but not not a single one of us would get all weirded out by it. We'd think it was a miracle. But somebody speaks in tongues and people start looking and judging and thinking weird things. Truthfully, I think it's about the only gift that people get that way with. All the other ones are cool. Somebody gets healed miraculously from cancer. That's a great thing. Somebody prays in tongues, and "Oh, look at that weird person. But the reality is, this is what the Bible says, is what the Bible talks about. And here at this church, we believe in the Bible. Amen. So we're going to follow it and learn from it. So let's get started. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-11 says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That's a pretty big list of gifts of the Spirit. And you know what? It's not even all of them. This list isn't exhaustive. In Romans 12, 6 through 8, it says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service if it's if service in our serving, the one who teaches and is teaching, the one who exhorts and his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. Do you know giving was the gift of the Spirit? The one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to do a lot of different things. And we see two different lists. But one thing that we'll notice is that each and every one of these gifts are for the common good. They're not for Elevating one person to some sort of uh, a status of super Christian, they're they're actually not even for the person doing them. The the gifts are always for the common good to lift up to build the church. We also see that not everyone will operate in every single gift, because the truth is, is the Spirit determines who He's going to to use a gift through. So not everyone's going to operate in each and every gift, and operating in a specific gift does not make you greater than somebody else you know too many times i think that, that people can get wrapped up thinking that if the holy spirit's working through you that says something about you the truth is is the holy spirit working through you doesn't say anything about you it says everything about the god who's working through you it's to give him glory for the greater good it's this isn't you doing something special it's god's power working through you They're not a reflection of you, but a reflection of God in you. And then when I was growing up, I I heard it said everyone has at least one gift. Has anybody ever heard that? Everybody has at least one gift. I'm not sure where that comes from. Because it almost comes across as everyone only has one gift. But the truth is you can have lots of gifts. And you, you you should operate and as many gifts as you can. And, and the Bible says that we're to desire them. You know, we talked about, it's not about elevating you up. It's about edifying the church, about building the church. It's for the common good. How many wants to see the common good? Then we should be desiring the gifts so that we can build the church, so that we can grow the church. First Corinthians twelve thirty one says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. It even says, don't just desire the lower gifts, desire the higher gifts. And we find out then in, in this uh, portion of 1 Corinthians that he's actually talking about stuff like prophecy. Desire those gifts. The reality is, is these gifts are for the church, and we should be using them. We should be asking God for them, desiring them. And it's not about lifting ourselves up, but instead it's about lifting the church up and one another up and building the church. Amen. So let's talk about then, if we're supposed to desire this, what is exactly then the baptism of the Holy Spirit? John 20, 19 through 22 says this, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them in his, his hands, and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So earlier when I started this, I talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, was was a separate event than salvation. It was subsequent to salvation. And the, the scripture is actually pretty clear on this. About receiving the Holy Spirit for salvation versus being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, what ha- is happening here when Jesus says, "Breathe on them and receive the Holy Spirit"? This is right after He was crucified. He showed up to them, and, he, and it says that He He, he showed them his, his wounds. There, He said, "Peace be with you," and He showed them His hands and His side. So, this was right after He had been crucified, but He is He is now not ascended to heaven yet but he sees that time period where he's walking around seeing all the disciples, letting them know that he's still alive, he's risen from the dead. And he shows up to them and he says, he breathes on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And at this moment is when the, the disciples, they receive the Holy Spirit and now that they are saved by what Jesus has done on the cross. This was what I was talking about earlier, the Holy Spirit in them. This is salvation. And it's a, it's a picture here that what Jesus is doing is a picture of exactly what happened When God breathed into Adam, God breathed into Adam, and Adam had life. And the same thing happens to us when we receive the Holy Spirit, like when Jesus breathed and he received the Holy Spirit, we went from being dead to alive. At the very moment when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and who you used to be is dead, and now you are alive in Christ. You're not who you used to be. Just like Adam was brand new, with no past, no history, no baggage, no failures, no sins, when you receive the Holy Spirit, that is you. You no longer have any past. You have no baggage. You have no sin. You have no failure because Jesus took care of all of that. That's what salvation is about, setting you free from who you used to be. The old man is dead and gone. The old man that was wrapped up in death is dead and gone. And you have a brand new spirit inside of you. You are brand new. And just like in 2 Corinthians 5:17, it says that you are a new creation. In Acts 1, 3 through 5, though, we're gonna see what the difference is. In Acts 1, 3 through 5, it says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is a perfect illustration of the difference of being filled with the Spirit and being baptized I'm sorry, being the Holy Spirit in you being saved and then being filled or baptized with the Spirit. So Jesus right now is specifically talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says, in not many days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is interesting because he's speaking of a time that was after he breathed in them and they received the Holy Spirit. Some people say, you no, know, that you, you're filled with the Holy Spirit when you're saved, but it's obviously two different events. It has to be two different events because Jesus was walking on the earth. He was risen, but not yet ascended when he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. But then he talked to them about a time after he goes to the Father. So this is after he has ascended. He says, when that happens, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's no way to argue these are the same event because one of them happened when Jesus was walking among the disciples after he was risen, but the second one, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, happens after he had already breathed on them, after they had already received the Holy Spirit. He has ascended, and now they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This promise that he's talking about, he says, wait for the promise of the Father. What is that? That's in Luke 24, 49. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city till you're clothed with power from on high. The idea of being filled with the Spirit is receiving power from on high to do what God has called us to do, like we talked about, for the common good. And when that day came, remember, this is two different events. One, Jesus was with them, he breathed on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now he has ascended, and they're waiting for this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And here's where it happens in Acts 2 1 through 4. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that filled or baptized? It's used interchangeably in the in the Bible. So they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is actually what Jesus was talking about in that last verse. He said, "Look, you're waiting to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and on this day of Pentecost." And if you didn't know a little history lesson, this is actually the the day of Pentecost was actually the same day that the law was given. Um we have the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we know they're already saved, right? Jesus already breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The disciples are already saved at this point. But now there's a second event where they're being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says the tongues of fire rested on them and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We're also going to see throughout the scriptures that they're filled multiple times. They get filled, and then they get filled again, and then at a different point in time they get filled again. The joke has been made that we leak. But the reality is, is, this, is this isn't salvation. Salvation happens one time. You believe, you put your faith in God, you're, you're saved. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Being filled can happen multiple times in your life. And every time you operate in one of the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is coming upon you. I think that's the best way to think about this, two different events, is, is salvation is the Holy Spirit coming in you, but, but being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit coming on you, and he's, he's working through you. And then it says they began to speak in other tongues. Now, if you remember a little while ago, we were talking about the different kinds of gifts of the Spirit. Um, one of those it talked about, it said various kinds of Tongues. And there are various kinds of tongues. There's, there's the, the, the kind of tongues where you're, you're, you're praying. It's a, people refer to it as a prayer language. which is a personal time with you and God. It's not to be addressing the church, which is why it doesn't need an interpreter. You're not addressing the church. You're not dealing with the church. Then there is the church where it talks about where Paul is dealing with unruliness in the Corinthian church. He says, listen, in the church, no more than three people speak in tongues and everyone is to have an interpreter. Why do they need an interpreter? Because they're addressing the church in tongues. If I were to address you in tongues without an interpreter, you'd have no idea what I'm saying. Matter of fact, the Bible says when you, when you speak in tongues, when you pray in tongues, you don't even know what you're saying. So that's the second. First kind is, is speaking in a, in a prayer language, a personal, private speaking in tongues with God. Then there's the, the addressing the church, which addra- addra- needs an interpreter. And then we have here a third type of a speaking in tongues. Because here they're actually speaking in languages that, that other people can understand. This is actually a, a very interesting one because they, they speak in, in different languages. Thirteen different languages are being expressed. But what's interesting is it doesn't say they were speaking in 13 different languages. It says they were hearing them in their own language. So that means when Peter was speaking, whatever he was speaking could be understood by 13 different languages. It's not like he spoke 13 different times so they could all understand it, but he was speaking once and it was understood by 13 different, so, so this is the, the type of tongues that is happening here. The Spirit was giving him utterance; they're speaking in tongues. And how do we know it was in tongues? Because you're going to find out in a second in Peter's rebuttal that they weren't speaking in regular languages because some people heard them speaking. What many of us hear when we hear people speaking in tongues is essentially gibberish, but before we move on to talk about Peter's rebuttal, one thing I do want to notice is that it says, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we're talking about the gift of tongues. It's too many people, I think, that think that when you're going to operate in any one of the gifts, and it, truthfully, it, it's, it, all the gifts are the same way, that God's going to reach down and you're going to become sort of some sort of holy marionette. And God's going to move your mouth for you, or he's going to do things for you. But the reality is is that we have to do the thing, and God works through us as we do it. That's what it says here. It says they began to speak, not the Holy Spirit began to make them speak. They choose to begin to speak, and the Holy Spirit moved through them. Just like prophecy, God can give you a prophetic message, but if you don't open your mouth and share it, it's not worth anything to anybody speaking in tongues if you don't actually begin to speak nothing's going to come out and that works for all of them god may give you a supernatural gift of generosity but if you don't exercise that generosity then it's nothing you still have to do what god is working through you amen so now we're going to talk about peter's rebuttal because you just remember they heard a loud noise and we have the Holy Spirit filling them. They begin speaking in, in other tongues. And then basically the people there begin to point fingers and say, man, these guys are crazy. They're, 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 they're just speaking gibberish. They're, they must be drunk. So in Acts 2, 16 through 21, he says, but this is what was uttered. If this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel and in the last days, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirits on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord. The Lord comes, the great magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this is Peter's rebuttal because of the speaking in tongues. Matter of fact, if you look at the verses right before this, he actually says, we are not drunk, it's only 9 a.m. He has to, to argue with them because they're thinking because of what, the, the people that obviously weren't hearing them in their own language, they were just hearing gibberish or whatever. They said, these guys must be drunk. But there are other people there, 13 other different languages represented, and they understood what Peter and the rest of the disciples were saying. And he says, listen, guys, we're not drunk. But this is what Joel prophesied about, that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh and it's an amazing thing, because Joel was written sometime between nine, 1900 .BC. and 14, or 400 BC. Really narrows it down, huh? 1900 BC to 400 BC. But that's where they figured that it was written. Either way, it's either 2,000 years before or 400 years before this actually happened. Joel was written and it talks about this event that's going to happen. The Bible is amazing with the amount of prophecy that that is always fulfilled. We see it over and over and over again. It's one of the greatest evidences of the legitimacy and the truthfulness of the Bible because prophecy is fulfilled over and over and over again in it. But several hundred years before, Joel prophesied that this would happen, that God's spirit would fall on all men and by this power that many things would take place that there would be prophecy there would be visions there would be dreams that there would be signs and wonders and that's what he says look and it shall come to pass and then he says it's going to come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the lord shall be saved and the reality is the purpose of these gifts is to all point towards that one purpose to make us effective, administering the gospel, building the church, equipping the saints, and making sure that people are getting saved. The purpose of the gifts is to empower us to reach the lost, so that everyone has the opportunity to be saved, so that everyone would call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. And that's. I hope that that I showed you, and we don't have all the time in the world to go through it but I hope that you see that there is a difference between salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see when it comes on this event that it happens. But the reality is is that uh, none of us were, were there at Pentecost. Bob, Bob missed it by what four or five weeks but the rest of us <laughs> <laughs> just kidding it was more like ten or twelve. I mean he's not he's not that old. <laughs> So, you know, we weren't there. We didn't see this event happen. So how is it that we would receive the Holy Spirit? How does it come about for us? How do, we, how do we get the gifts of the Holy Spirit? How do we become baptized? And Luke eleven eleven through 13, says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What makes a good father? You know, for those of us that, that uh, either had a good father or at least we've 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 seen uh, examples of it elsewhere, what makes a good father is that they're loving, that they're honest, that they're reliable. Truthfully, what makes a good father is a father that will discipline you. A father provides every single thing that we need. And as as humans, we know what a good father should be, even if we didn't experience that ourselves. And we also know what makes a, a bad father. And and. And we, Luke is making the or the the point is being made here that says, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? You know, a good father is not going to harm their kid. A good father is not going to make things worse for them. A good father is not going to make them starve or poison them or hurt them. When he asks for something, a good father, when when your kid asks for something that they need, a good father gives it to them, and that's the. The thing here is that God is all of those things. He's faithful, He's honest, He's reliable, He can be trusted. And when we ask for something from God, He's not going to hold back the good gifts. So the truth is, is that if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you're not already, if you want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and you're not already, the first thing you need to do is ask. And God is faithful. He's not a bad father. He's not going to give you something else. You're not going to ask the gifts of the Holy Spirit and be given something that will harm you or hurt you because He is a good Father how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him and remember that we should be asking we don't need to be caught up and wondering, you know, is this something I should be asked for it seems kind of prideful to be wanting these things it seems kind of out of, out of place to be wanting these things but the, Paul said no, that we're to desire these gifts As long as your motive isn't so that you can stand up front and look super spiritual, you're going to be fine. The truth is, like I said earlier, every single one of us wants the church to grow. And I don't mean this church. I'm talking the the church global. We want to see people get saved. We want, Not that we don't want this church to grow too. But (laughs) every single one of us wants to see the kingdom of heaven grow. And if that's our motive, we should be asking for these gifts. Amen? And when we do that, we see that the Holy Spirit will come upon us. Acts 2, 38-9 is some examples of this. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. We have this situation here where it's talking about... uh, Peter setting up the, the steps to receiving the Holy Spirit. And the first thing is you have to get saved. He says, go ahead and, and repent and baptize every one of you in the name of the Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. One thing I want to be clear about this, and, and I don't have time to go through it all in great detail, but he's not talking about baptizing, saving the person. Repentance is part of salvation and receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, putting faith in him. But baptism back then was kind of like the altar call for us today. You know, we normally do an altar call. We ask people to raise their hand if they want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, and then we baptize them at a later date. Back then, they just did it all at once. Like, look, you're all in. You, you want to receive Jesus? Let's go get you baptized right now. And they would take care of it. So that's what the baptism is about here. But basically, you have to get saved. Repent, be baptized for the gifts of your sins, get saved, and then you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is first, and then... We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by asking. And the truth is, is that this is for every single one of us. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are fall off. Everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. This promise, this gift of the Holy Spirit is available to every single one of us. That's one of the things I think we need to keep in mind, is that it's not... These gifts aren't for some super saint, super Christians. The truth is, is that the gifts are for every single person in this room. Every single person that calls on the name of the Lord has an opportunity to receive these gifts. And then in Acts eleven. Fifteen through seventeen, it says, "As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell." I want to talk about, you know, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, or falling on them. We'll see in the next couple of verses we look at. But he says, "As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit." And this is Peter speaking. He says, "The Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning." And I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, "John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ who was I that I could stand in God's way? So Peter is actually giving an offense to the apostles and the brethren in Jerusalem right now because basically Peter was associating with Cornelius. He was a Roman soldier. soldier. He was a Gentile. And the truth is, is that the Jews weren't supposed to be associating with them. And you've got to remember that uh, uh, the first Christians were Jews and they're dealing with, dealing with a lot of that stuff that they were dealing with from the Jewish religion. And they're saying, hey, why are you associating with this Gentile? Because at this point, they thought salvation was still only for the Jews. And you remember that, that uh, Peter had a vision where God said, whatever I call call clean, don't you call dirty, don't you call unholy. If I call it clean, it is good to go. And he had that vision of the, of the cloth coming down, and there was unclean animals on it, and Peter was supposed to go and eat. And he's giving a defense to these people, to the apostles and the other disciples in Jerusalem about why he's associating with them. And he says, look, they believed and then the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it on us at the beginning. If God says they're okay, who am I to say otherwise? But we see that the gift comes after the believing. They believed, they, they were saved and the gift comes and falls upon them. And it's not the only time this language is used about the Holy Spirit falling on them. In Acts 19, 6, it says, when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. One of the things that when we give people the opportunity to come up and they want to ask, we lay hands on them. And the reason we do that is is simply it becomes a a point to release faith. Because how many know that you need faith to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Just like anything in Christianity, you do it in faith. We are saved by faith. We receive the gifts of the Spirit by faith. Matter of fact, the Bible says that whatever you do that's not of faith is sin. And we also found out a couple of weeks ago as we were looking at it that, that faith is the only way that we can please God, amen? But Paul lays hands on them. It's an opportunity for them to release their faith, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And when that happened, you'll notice that the gifts began to be able to be manifest, since the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. That language of falling on them is used again in Acts 8, 14 through 17. Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any one of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So these folks, they'd already been baptized. They'd already put their faith in Jesus Christ. They'd already been saved, but they hadn't had the Holy Spirit fallen. As a matter of fact, they didn't even know about it. It says the apostles in Jerusalem heard that, that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent them to Peter and John because they wanted them to receive the Holy Spirit. They got saved. They heard the word of God, but... They hadn't received the Holy Spirit. So when they came down, they laid their hands on them and then they received it. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. The next verse actually says that Simon saw the laying of hands resulted and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's important that we we notice that Simon saw something because one of these things that we, we need to understand is that there is evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life. There is evidence of when that happens and what's going on. In Acts 10, 44 through 47, it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. There's that language again, the Holy Spirit falling on them or coming upon them. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? More evidence in case you were curious that baptism is not what saves you. They, they had the Holy Spirit, so they obviously were saved because you have to be saved before you can receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, "Well, wait a minute, if they've already received the Holy Spirit, why can we not baptize them? So it's not baptism that saves you, it's your faith in Jesus Christ. But at any rate, they, they, they hear them speak in tongues and they're extolling God. And we'll notice that the, the apostles had evidence that these gentiles were filled with the holy spirit there should be evidence when the holy spirit comes upon you and this is while they were speaking uh, uh, earlier we saw that that while they were speaking or peter was speaking to cornelius the holy spirit fell upon them and then the the interesting thing about this is that there had to be some way for the, for peter to know that that's what happened I mean, if the Holy Spirit coming upon you was something just internal or something that happened, how would, how would they see that this actually happened? How did they know that they were baptized in the Spirit? And the reality is, is this baptism in the Spirit proved that God had accepted them even though they hadn't been baptized yet. And one of the things you're going to notice in nearly all cases in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when it talks about the, the people getting filled with the Spirit, there is evidence, and it's almost always speaking in tongues. In the case of Peter and Samaria, I talked about a little moment ago, it says that, that, that Simon saw that they were filled with the Holy Spirit when they lay hands on How did Simon see that? When people are filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't see uh, a, you know, a light shine out. The clouds don't part, and you have a, a bright light shining down on people. There's something that happens. In Acts 2.4, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In 19, 6, Acts 19.6, it says when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. And right here, that's how they knew. It says they were amazed the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. How did they know? For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. It's one of the reasons why you might hear and in, and in, in, in some circles that that uh, uh, believe in the gifts of the spirit is is they refer to the gift, speaking in tongues kind of as the the starter gift, as you will, because it seems like that's the evidence in the New Testament that it either flat out says they were filled with the spirit and began speaking in tongues, or there's indication that there was there was some evidence you know Simon saw that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. How did he see that? Now, uh, personally. I think that every believer can ask to be able to, to to pray in tongues, and and like the Bible said, if you ask, He's not going to give you a poisonous fish. If you ask for for something, He's not going to give you something else. If you ask, you will receive it. That being said, I don't think that uh, uh, every person has to speak in tongues. Um, I think, uh, I personally, I believe that if you if you don't ask for that gift, you are missing out. The truth is, is that the Holy Spirit helps us pray. The Holy Spirit helps us to, to pray when, when we don't know the things to say. And I think it's an important part of every spirit-filled believer's life. And then we should be asking for that gift. But the truth is that speaking in tongues or any of the spiritual gifts, as I said earlier, is, is not a matter of God taking control over you. Anybody ever seen that cartoon, The Avatar? When I was growing up, that's kind of how I envisioned it in my head. You know, when the Avatar, uh, before he gets it figured out, the, the Avatar state comes on him and his eyes turn blue and like something takes control of his body. That's what I had in my head. That somehow when God was going to use you in this, these, these ways, you know, your your eyes are gonna roll back in your head and, and you're just gonna be controlled by God. And the reality is that's not how the gifts work. The truth is, is that if you want to speak in tongues, you gotta open your mouth and start speaking and let the Holy Spirit work through you. If God gives you uh, a prophetic vision or a prophetic imagery or a prophetic message, if you don't open your mouth and share it, it's not going anywhere. You still, God's not going to come down and begin sp- and moving your mouth for you for any of these things. We must speak. We must step out. Just like Peter and faith had to step out of the boat onto the water. At some point, we have to step out in faith. And the reality is, is that we have control over the gifts in our life. That's why in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul says the, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. When God gives you a, a prophetic vision or a message, it doesn't mean that you immediately have to blurt it out right then. That might not be the right time. You have control over when those gifts are operating in your life. I know for me, it, it, it took some time before I was ready to, to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because truthfully, um, I, I, you know, for those of you who know me, I, I work in IT as well, I have the mind of an engineer. Supernatural stuff, um, I'm skeptical of. <laughs> Even to this day, I have to, to really keep that in check because I hear somebody gets healed miraculously, miraculously and my instinct is to, to, to discount that. And I have to keep reminding myself that God's a big God, and he's a supernatural God, and he does supernatural stuff. And the gifts of the Spirit were the same way. It took me a long time to, to move in that direction because it seemed weird to me. I mean, speaking in tongues, it's, the reality is, like I said earlier, it is kind of weird. But it doesn't mean it's not biblical. There's a lot of things that are weird that are Biblical. I tell you, if if, if we were to lay hands on somebody and they were to raise from the dead, that would be weird, but it would be amazing. And the truth is, is that there are accounts of that still happening today. It doesn't happen very often, but there are uh, legitimate accounts of people dying and coming back to life. And I know somebody personally that has done that. And I think some of you have met him as well when he came in and uh, uh, shared his experience of dying and coming back to life and what he experienced. The truth is is that we serve a supernatural God and he does supernatural things. And we just have to trust him that his word is true, that what he says is true. Because the truth is, is God is not going to make you do anything. If you want to choose to, to think that it's not for you and you don't want to do it or you don't want to be a part of it, God's not going to force you to do any of that. But I would encourage you, to study everything that we've talked about today. If you've been writing down, study the scripture. What does it say about the gifts of the Spirit? What does it say? And that way you can can see what the Word says and then begin to ask to have those things. Because the truth is, we need it. Today more than ever, there's an assault on the church. that's happening all across the world. and, and, And finally, in America, we're starting to see some of that even though we still don't see it all that much, but we're starting to see pushback against the church and what we believe. And the truth is, is that we're going to need power. We're going to need what God is providing to us. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The holy spirit gives us power through his gifts so that we can be his witnesses that we can be effective at reaching the lost bible says that we're to be witnesses in jerusalem judea and samaria the picture here is jerusalem is their hometown you're supposed to be a witness in your hometown and then it says that you're going to be my witnesses in judea in Samaria, which is their, their local region, their local area. It's like us saying that that not only do we need to be witnesses in our hometown or our workplace or where we shop, but we also need to be witnesses to our home state or maybe our home country. And then it says to the end of the earth, which means that we're to be witnesses to the rest of the world. The truth is, church, we have a big job to do. We have been entrusted with something that is so important. When you look out there and there are people that aren't saved, we're not talking about it's going to be inconvenient for them one day. This is a life or death situation. This this is an eternal issue that we're dealing with, and we need power to make it happen. And that's what the Holy Spirit is here to do for us, to give us that power that we can be effective. And it starts by, if you haven't received the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it starts by asking. And then it starts by moving your mouth, stepping out in faith, doing those things. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head.